This is Kyle Brown for the Superintendent Radio Network. This morning I'm talking with Ryan Aylesworth, the President and CEO of Audubon International. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing very well, Kyle. Thanks for asking. I hope you're doing very well yourself. This is when a lot of people are talking about environmental issues, and no one knows about that more than Audubon International. You guys are very good at being able to talk about the benefits of what golf brings to communities in an environmental sense. What are some tips? How can superintendents talk to others about the environmental benefits of golf? In my experience, Kyle, it's, it's given how much superintendents know the, and understand about the environment and, and natural resource management and the land ethic that they have and really the phenomenal and impressive stewardship that they practice in their own daily professional lives, it's always interesting. I find it interesting at times the level of discomfort that superintendents will express uh, or demonstrate when it comes to communicating the environmental benefits of their practices to the public. There are a number of misconceptions about um, golf courses, use of water, pesticides, all sorts of environmental impacts. And certainly there are a wide range of environmental impacts that have to be considered and in, in many cases mitigated. And that's what uh, Audubon International, one of the things that that we try to do and we try to help our uh, golf course managers and other property managers accomplish. But at the same time, we have golf courses that have been working with us for years and have become certified as members of either the Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary Program or the Audubon Signature Program. One of the things that we try to work very closely with golf course managers to do is to more aggressively and comfortably communicate the wide range of benefits, sound practices that they're implementing on their golf course. It seems that a lot of folks that go into the golf course management industry or choose that as a profession tend to be less comfortable talking about the good things that they do. And when a course becomes certified, the course itself will sometimes not broadcast those accomplishments as much as we might hope. And so that's something that, that we certainly try to work very closely with the golf course to do, both from a the communications and PR standpoint, but also just from an educational standpoint, so that a course's members, its patrons, neighbors, and abutting landowners have a much better understanding of what's going on in the course and can dispel a lot of the myths that unfortunately are uh, pervasive. And, and golf courses unfortunately get a unworthy bad rap. What are a couple of those practices that they can draw attention to that will really show that they are putting that effort to practice and actually doing good for the environment and that community? I think one of the things uh, that the general public doesn't give as much careful thought to as they really should is how an economic bottom line and environmental performance really can go hand in hand. And so golf course managers, while there's a misperception out there that they over-irrigate or over-fertilize or apply you know, excessive amounts of pesticides, um, if the general public stepped back and thought about the business sense of such practices, they would realize that it wouldn't make much sense for a golf course superintendent to implement the practices that they do if they weren't necessary. A golf course superintendent wouldn't over-irrigate. They'll only do what's necessary to promote a healthy golf course, both from a playability standpoint, from an aesthetic standpoint, and other considerations. And so golf course superintendents have very strong incentives to make sure that what they're doing from a, from a management standpoint controls costs. And oftentimes, what helps control costs is also environmentally sensible. So in the case of certain practices the golf course superintendents will implement that are both sensible from a financial standpoint as well as environmentally conscious, 
certainly one of the things the golf course superintendents think a lot about is what portions of the golf course really need to be managed as turf. You know, what areas are people actually using for play? And you'll find that, you know, absent tee boxes and fairways and greens, there are large portions of a golf course that can be converted to naturalized areas, so either converted to a wildflower garden, maybe reforested, maybe converted or maintained as a wetland habitat. And so uh, golf course superintendents are always looking for ways to minimize the amount of turf from a playability standpoint just because it'll help reduce labor costs, help reduce the amount of irrigation that's often needed, um, as well as a lot of other inputs that can be costly from a fiscal standpoint. And so you know, that's really an important point to make is that golf course superintendents have economic incentives that they respond to that also happen to promote environmentally responsible activities, environmentally responsible management practices. For superintendents, a lot of the time, uh, communication is key, certainly. You know, sometimes it does seem like there are members out there that, regardless of what's going on, they do want the, the best greens out there, and they don't care, you know, what cost it comes at. It's really interesting, you know, to think about and evaluate what the preferences are of, of golfers in the U.S. and internationally today. Certainly, the preferences of an American golfer might vary considerably from the preferences of a golfer in the U.K. or in Australia or Asia. And so a lot of management practices that are implemented on golf courses, frankly, can be a response to what you might call the squeaky wheel, a, a vocal minority of a golf course's membership who have a lot to say about how the course is managed, and they certainly let their own preferences be known. <laughs> and absent any input from the other members of that golf course, you can understand how it would be pretty easy for a golf course manager to read into that that, okay, these opinions that we're hearing are representative of what the larger membership believes. And so let's assume for a second that a golf course manager is he hearing from a select few members at their facility that, boy, they, they really want those greens and fairways to be that much more green and that much more lush. They want it to look like an emerald city out there. Well, it could very well be that the membership at large feels similar beliefs and similar preferences towards the course. But it's also possible it's really just those select few they want to see the course managed in that way, and that others would actually prefer to see more naturalized area, would prefer to see more wildlife, would prefer to have a, a landscape that looks more like lynx golf and plays faster and has more naturalized rough areas and, and out-of-bounds areas than um, you see in a lot of U.S. golf courses. We would just encourage that golf course managers take the time to really more thoroughly uh, look into what the value systems and, and preferences of their members are, make sure that they're actually responding to the majority demand, as it were, and not just the vocal minority. And along similar lines, as part of the education process and hopefully empowering superintendents to feel comfortable communicating uh, the environmental benefits of what they're doing, even if it turned out that the majority of a course's membership did prefer a certain kind of land use practice or land management practice that maybe isn't as environmentally friendly as we would like to see the club implement, we would hope that that superintendent would feel comfortable talking to the members and explaining why they're considering uh, implementing a different practice that is more environmentally friendly. And sure, there might be some trade-offs that have to be confronted, but oftentimes we find that when a superintendent proactively engages their members and explains why they're doing to the benefit of wildlife, why they're doing what they're doing to conserve water and energy, and ultimately roll that cost savings into other benefits that the, the membership will receive on the course, 
but the members respond very favorably to that. The needle has moved a little bit, so to speak. And so that's certainly something that we as an organization are trying to help our superintendents do. One of the things I'm always personally really excited to hear is when golf course superintendents start talking about how their course, situated within a larger geographic context, is contributing to the, the larger landscape in an ecological sense. And so what I mean by that is it can be very easy to think within the boundaries of a course and consider all the management practices and the impacts of those practices solely within the boundaries of the course. Obviously, when it comes to wildlife and other ecological processes like hydrology, etc., the, the boundaries of a course really are irrelevant. Those course boundaries don't have an ecological meaning. Wildlife don't honor property boundaries. And so <laughs> when a golf course thinks about the larger context that they sit within, um, maybe they abut a national wildlife refuge, maybe they abut a state park, or maybe they're walled in by development on all sides. Um, the role that that course plays, again, from an ecological standpoint, specifically when it comes to things like wildlife movement and habitat corridors, is really influenced by where that course is situated and, and what the surrounding landscape looks like. And so we hope that uh, superintendents take the time to actively engage abutting landowners and talk about what they're doing on their property, not just to promote you know, better connectedness from a habitat standpoint, but also take an opportunity to dispel some of the myths that neighbors and abutting landowners might hold about their practices. Again, this all feeds into the educational process, and maybe it's a terrible uh, pun to use, but you really can kill two birds with one stone here. Um, <laughs> you can, uh, yeah. uh, you can uh, not only, again, promote actual better ecological connections between points A and B if the golf course manager is thinking about what's happening beyond his or her course, but they can also break down those barriers, those communication barriers that exist. And you can end up with a situation where the neighbors, whether they be private landowners or state park managers or whoever they may be, become strong allies of the golf course. And they can become very powerful ambassadors for the work that the golf course is doing. And that's something that we really love to see. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about how superintendents can communicate with people in their surroundings about the environmental benefits of their course. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kyle.